This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is House Rules Committee Chairman, Representative James McGovern. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Massachusetts 2nd District Representative James McGovern next. Today's Open Mic segment is brought to you by America's Crop Insurance Industry, which is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Providing individualized protection on more than 445 million acres of farmland, crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. House Rules Committee Chairman James McGovern is also an influential member of the Ag Committee and an outspoken supporter of food and nutrition programs. McGovern was pleased to see President Biden take the lead to end hunger in the U.S. And I believe that this White House conference has the potential to be revolutionary. Uh, the President of the United States made it clear that it is the goal of uh, our country to end hunger in this country by the year 2030. He also made a pledge to uh, end uh, diet-related diseases as well. And so, um, you know, uh, that's the first time I, I think a president has ever said that. That conference brought together people from very diverse backgrounds, from government and all of government approach, federal level, to state leaders, to uh, local leaders, to members of the nonprofit sector, to members of the private sector, educators, healthcare professionals, you name it. Everybody was brought together in one room and asked to put something on the table to help contribute to a strategy to get to the, the, the goal. And the White House released that day a national strategy uh, as to what they believe uh, will accomplish that goal. And it is bold, it is visionary, it is achievable. I'm very inspired and very enthusiastic about this conference. You're co-chair of the House Hunger Caucus. So prior to this event and after this event, how do you describe to the populace just how serious hunger is? Well, we have a hunger problem in this country. Uh, even before the pandemic, uh, tens of millions of our fellow citizens were hungry. They didn't know where the next meal was going to come from. And hunger defies stereotypes. There are people who are homeless who are hungry, but there are people who are working full-time jobs who are hungry. We have kids who go to school hungry. You know, senior citizens are hungry. Uh, this is an enormous problem. It has always frustrated me that given the enormity of the problem, uh, given the human impact of the problem, given the financial impact of the problem, that we really never had a plan in this country to solve it. Uh, and that's why we had, we, we, we had this White House conference. The last time we had a White House conference was in 1969. That was the year we put somebody on the moon. Uh, and out of that conference came some really good things, like, uh, like WIC, you know, the modern-day food stamp program, uh, product uh, food labeling, um, more attention to child nutrition, I mean, a whole bunch of stuff. And we began to make progress in the 1970s toward dealing with this issue. And then we started to backslide. And, um, and I started you know, asking for this White House conference during the first term of the Obama administration. And, um, and even though they did some good things, they didn't take this issue on as boldly as I would have liked. And, 
when Joe Biden became president, even before he got sworn in, uh, a, a bipartisan group of us, uh, myself, Senator Cory Booker, a Democrat from New Jersey, uh, Senator Braun, of, a Republican from Indiana, and Jackie Walorski, my uh, colleague, a Republican from Indiana, who tragically lost her life. We all wrote to the president and said, we need you to do this. And he did. Uh, and so, um, so this is about solving a problem that is huge, that um, has caused enormous suffering uh, on a lot of families, and it is uh, costing us a, a great deal of money in terms of kids who don't learn in school, lost productivity in the workplace, and avoidable health care costs. So if we get this right, not only do we improve uh, the, uh, the well-being and the lives of uh, countless uh, citizens, we also save a boatload of money in the process. So in the process of the discussion, at what point does there become policy, regulation, legislation, in essence where the rubber meets the road that really goes after this issue? Is there any one solution? Well, there's no one solution. That's why we had a conference and why we're looking at this more holistically. I mean, it's not just about, you know, enhancing and strengthening the SNAP program. You know, it is about a whole bunch of other things. Uh, it is about changing our systems to be more uh, responsive uh, to hunger and nutrition and security. That means our health care systems. That means our educational system. Uh, but this national strategy that they put forward, you know, listed a whole bunch of things that the administration could do using, uh, you know, to the regulatory process, challenges for Congress, challenges for state and local governments, challenges for the business sector, for the health care sector, for the educational sector. So, you know, this national strategy is pretty comprehensive, but this is not just the responsibility of Congress or the federal government. You know, we all have to step up to the plate, uh, and we all have to put something on the table. There were some members of the ag community that were in various points of the conference, but there wasn't a central uh, emphasis uh, of agriculture's role in helping to solve the problem. Ag Secretary Vilsack said that would come later. So from your perspective, how can agriculture help here? Is agriculture a part of the solution? Absolutely, agriculture is part of the solution. And again, the Secretary of Agriculture was very, very prominent uh, at this con- at this conference. People need better access to local foods. Uh, that relates directly to our farmers. Um, you know, And there were lots of uh, ag leaders that were present uh, at that conference, not just participating in some of the panels, but actually in the audience, I mean, you know, and in the breakout sessions, which were quite quite extensive, you know, but um, in many respects, this was about uplifting our farmers and about making it clear um, how important they are uh, to our goal of ending hunger and uh, and de- dealing with diet-related diseases. Uh, we need we need to support our farmers. Uh, you know, we need to provide more support for our farmers uh, in a whole bunch of ways. But without our farmers, we don't have food. So, you know, I look at it that that agriculture really was front and center at this conference. There's a decision coming up for the voters, and one issue at the top of the list for many is the economy. Is this just a one-issue election, or what else is on the table, Congressman? Well, look, we are dealing with inflation, uh, which is a global problem. We're dealing with inflation all around the world because we had a once-in-a-lifetime pandemic where our entire economy shut down. And now we are trying to ramp back up again, and we we see we have supply chain issues. 
Uh, we have supply and demand issues. I mean, all kinds of challenges. And we here in the United States are actually responding better than I think a lot of other countries. But I, I always find it curious when uh, I hear some of my colleagues on the Republican side say, say well, this is because of Democrats or, or Joe Biden's policies or whatever. I mean, you, anyone really, anybody who really thinks that Democrats or Joe Biden, you know, are responsible for inflation in Australia, uh, maybe you got your degree at Trump University. But look, at our economy is our top priority, and Democrats are focused on lowering costs for people. That means whether it's lowering the cost of prescription drugs. Come January, there's going to be a $35 a month cap on insulin for senior citizens. We passed the Inflation Reduction Act, which has monies in there that will help lower energy costs. And by the way, monies in there that will go directly to our farmers to help them deal with some of the challenges uh, that they're now, they're now confronting. So, I mean, uh, you know, it's one thing to complain about a problem, um, but it's another thing to actually have a solution to the problem. And, uh, and I think that what the Biden administration has outlined, the stuff that we've passed in Congress, I think goes toward uh, achieving a solution. Again, lowering costs for families. I mean, that is the goal. That is what we're trying to do. Uh, and, you know, complicating things as well is Putin's war against Ukraine, which has had implications on energy costs, but also on, um, on, uh, on the supply of food for much of the world, because Ukraine is the world's breadbasket bread in many ways. Uh, but I, look, we are, we are focused on lowering costs uh, for consumers. I'd like to offer the opportunity for you to respond to the minority uh, critique that perhaps we overstimulated the economy, that there was too much money being offered either to consumers or to spur the, inf- uh, the, uh, the, the economy back into order. Yeah. Well, you know what? I, I find that uh, curious because, uh, you know, what we did is we respond, responded to a and to a once-in-a-lifetime pandemic. We, we got shots in people's arms. We, we lost over a million people to this pandemic. Would they have preferred us not to invest in making sure people had access to vaccines? Um, you know, we, we provided, um, you know, survival checks for people, many who had lost their jobs during the pandemic. Would they have preferred that we allow people to go, you know, to go hungry? We had, we had um you know, month, a monthly child tax credit. I mean, that actually lowered poverty in this country amongst our children. That reduced poverty. It was a big deal. Uh, you know, we helped uh, small businesses stay afloat. If we didn't do that, uh, countless businesses would have closed their doors for good. We helped communities support their schools uh, and all the expenses that went with having to operate virtually and retrofitting schools. They were more so they were safer for people. We. You know, we, 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 we provided money to first responders, our police and our firefighters. Would they have preferred us not to do that? Look, this is a global problem. Um, and so the idea that it was like, oh, we passed a bill to actually help people during one of the most difficult periods in my lifetime, you know, that that's responsible for inflation. I mean, that's just kind of crazy, in my opinion. Look, this is a global problem. We have taken steps uh, to try to lower costs for consumers to try to help get people through this difficult time, to try to uh, save people's lives uh, during this pandemic. I think we did the right thing. If we didn't do the things that we did, I mean, businesses would have been shut down. People would have gone hungry. More people would have died. Um, so I'm, I don't regret what, uh, what we did. 
Congressman, let's look uh, toward the end of 22. How do you see this election uh, impacting the agenda in the lame duck session? What are the must-dos and what are the things that may or may not be done depending on the outcome? Well, we have to keep the government running. We have to pass, uh, you know, our spending bills so that we can, uh, you know, keep the lights on next year. And I hope that we do a, a, a year-long bill rather than, you know, a short-term continuing resolution. So that that is, you know, at the top of, top of the agenda. Uh, so, we, we, you know, there are other things that we need to do as well. But, uh, I mean, the most important thing is to make sure we have a, a funding bill that, that uh, gets us through next year. Um, and, um, and I trust that we will do that. I hope no matter what the outcome of the election is, and I'm working as hard as I can to make sure Democrats win, because, quite frankly, I think if the other side wins, um, it is going to be harmful to, to working families. Um, but, um, uh, you know, there, there, there are other bills that need to get done. The uh, National Defense Authorization uh, bill. I mean, in that bill, I, I'm actually fighting to get language in there uh, that helps address hunger amongst our mil- amongst military families. I mean, we're, we began this discussion by talking about hunger. We have active duty military families that rely on food pantries to put food on the table. That's just unconscionable. These are the these people are putting their lives on the line for us, serving our country. Uh, nobody who's in our military ought to be hungry. Nobody in this country ought to be hungry. But there's some language that is in that bill that I. I think if we get it over the finish line, we'll, we'll help solve some of the challenges that they face right now. How do you see Democratic priorities in Congress varying from GOP priorities as we look to the new Congress? Well, that's uh, an interesting question. Um, I don't really know what the GOP priorities are other than based on some of the stuff I see on social media, which is the same old, same old. Tax breaks for wealthy individuals and billionaire corporations. Um, even in agriculture, it's all really about uh, the big agribusinesses uh, with very little attention to medium and uh, size and small farms. On the area of nutrition, I mean, um, you know, I really worry if they take control because um, I, I was around during the 2018 Farm Bill. I saw what they tried to do. Uh, you know, uh, House Republicans tried to cut over $20 billion out of the SNAP program. That would have increased hunger in this country. So my values are not their values. Inside the debate of the 2018 Farm Bill, there were some members of the GOP that said we should go after fraud and waste in the SNAP program uh, to take, it, take, a, take away funds from those who are receiving them uh, and don't need them in order to give more funds for those who do. Is that an argument that holds water? Well, that's kind of the, the same old tired argument that they bring out every farm bill uh, to use as an excuse to cut SNAP and to throw more people, uh, in, you know, into poverty and into hunger. Look, nobody, nobody's for fraud and waste and abuse. I mean, and, uh, you know, they did countless hearings uh, leading up to the 2018 farm bill. And, you know, they get to pick the majority of witnesses because they were in charge, and none of their witnesses ever agreed with them. I, and I remember they would say, you know, these people who are on SNAP, you know, all they need to do is get a job. Well, the majority of people who are able-bodied, who can work, and who are on SNAP actually do work. We heard that over and over and over again. Um, you know, we you know we heard it from the, the, the Trump, you know, Department of Agriculture, uh, and yet it didn't matter. The facts didn't matter. They still wanted to cut it. You know, they talked about um, you know punishing able-bodied adults without dependents. Um, you know, who were looking to get on SNAP. You know, we, we during hearings we would ask 
constantly, who are these people? You know, some of them were returning uh, veterans uh, dealing with post-traumatic stress syndrome. We had, we had uh, you know, some of them were young people graduating out of foster care. Some were, were people with undiagnosed mental illnesses. I mean, the idea that, you know, that somehow those people should have a target on their back, that they should go hungry, was cruel. So, look, nobody wants fraud. Nobody wants abuse. We're all dedicated to that. But, you know, at some point, you have to produce the, the evidence that, back up your, that backs up your rhetoric. They never did that. Look, let's just be very blunt. Um, for a lot of Republicans, it has become fashionable to just beat up on poor people uh, and to go after programs like SNAP. The problem is that their, um, their narrative doesn't represent the reality. Is writing a new farm bill on the list of priorities for your side of the aisle? Absolutely, absolutely. We are absolutely dedicated to getting a farm bill done, uh, and one that helps our farmers, and also one that uh, that fights hunger. But I will be very candid with you. There is no way in hell I'm going to support a, a, a farm bill that makes hunger worse. You know, in 2018, my red line was that I would not vote for a farm bill that made hunger worse. Now, I'm telling you that I will not vote for a farm bill unless it invests in the White House uh, strategy's vision for a hunger-free America. We're beyond just damage control. We're beyond just the status quo. We now have an opportunity uh, to do something transformational in this country, to end hunger once and for all. And if we do that, by the way, our farmers are helped by that. In addition to that, millions and millions of people will have enough food, nutritious food, to put on the table to feed their families. So, uh, so you know, if um, anybody who thinks we're going to get a farm bill by screwing poor people, uh, I, they, they, they better think again. It's, it, just, it will not happen. Do you see climate slash sustainability making its way into farm bill debate over conservation or other programs? I do. I, do. I mean, I think it's important. I mean, this uh, democratically controlled agriculture committee, I think, is the first ag committee uh, that has done hearings on the climate crisis. And I do farm tours in Massachusetts every year. And i got to be honest with you, the last few years, the issue of, of climate comes up all the time. Fighting climate change is a key piece of our of our conservation efforts. You know, I mean, in Massachusetts, farmers are, are, are talking to me about how the winters are shorter, how there are new plant diseases that are appearing, invasive species that used to be killed during the harsh winters are, are now surviving. And they're also experiencing really crazy weather patterns. I mean, this year it's 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 a drought. I mean, last year it was it was too much rain. With regard to trade, you've made some comments about sanctions of whether they really are carrying the weight that they should and bringing the bringing a desired result. What advice would you give for the Biden administration's trade agenda and the sanctions that we still have in place on China and other countries? There's a place for sanctions, uh, and to me, they should be targeted. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of sanctions that are that are blanket, uh, that actually hurt regular people, uh, and don't put any pressure on the people that are behaving badly, in particular in governments, you know, or in business. So, uh, you know, I think one of the things that we had a hearing a, a couple of weeks ago in the Human Rights Commission, where I talked about the need for us to, uh, on a regular basis, review whether um, the sanctions that we put in place 
are actually doing the job that we intended them to do. Uh, I, I think sanctions are, are important if they help get us to, you know, to a goal, uh, or to a, a, a solution. But sanctions for the sake of vengeance, for example, uh, that, that don't move anything, that don't change anything, then we need to question whether that's the, the best way to, to move forward. So I, all I'm simply saying is that, you know, we need to have a discussion on a regular basis when we impose sanctions to assess whether they're working. Uh, are they hurting the people that we intend to put pressure on, or are they hurting, you know, uh, people here in the United States? Uh, are they helping the people that uh, in other countries that are struggling or that are, you know, victims of human rights violations, or are they making things worse? So, you know, there's nothing wrong with having regular discussions as to whether or not things are working, and I urge the Biden administration, uh, you know, to, to revisit uh, some of our approaches. Congressman, you are chair of the Executive Commission on China. What to do with China? Oh, it, you know, it's complicated. One is uh, we need to have relations with China, and we need to deal with China. And we have a significant amount of trade with China. On the other hand, you can't turn a blind eye to some of the uh, behavior of the Chinese government. For example, I mean, they are c committing genocide against the Uyghur population in Xinjiang. So I've actually passed a bill that basically says that, you know, we, we should not be um, sourcing uh, materials or food or anything from that region because we know that it is being made and produced with slave labor. That's just wrong. That's morally wrong. Look, China is an adversary. Uh, the, the Chinese people are wonderful, but their government does not share our values. So, you know, we have to have a policy that upholds our values, but also that is grounded in realism in the sense that, you know, we have to deal with with China. Um, and so there's that balancing act. Uh, so, um, you know, I mean, what's happening in Hong Kong right now um, is incredibly sad. Uh, and I've been critical, by the way, of our financial institutions and our banks and, you know, who, are, who continue to go over to Hong Kong and, conduct business like nothing has happened. I mean, they, they're just, you know, they've cracked down on on people who have, who have wanted to maintain some autonomy over their lives there. They want China promised that there'd be a, when they took over um, Hong Kong, there'd be a, a one country, two um, system approach uh, in Hong Kong. They've lied about that. And Tibetans, I mean, Tibetans have been, um, again, there's ethnic cleansing going on. Uh, in Tibet. So, you know, again, it's it's a balancing act, but, you know, we, we need to make more here in the United States. Uh, we need to, in, in terms of manufacturing, uh, but we also need to understand the importance of a robust U.S.-based agri agricultural system so that we are not reliant uh, on other countries uh, for our food. Congressman, thank you for taking time at a busy season, especially in front of the election, to talk issues with us here on this edition of Open Mic. You've been here before. It is Open Mic, and today the 2nd District Representative has the last word. I guess my last word it, it goes back to this White House conference. Um, this was incredible. I guess the second ever White House conference on hunger. And, um, you know, I would urge people to go to the White House um, webpage and, and read the national strategy. I mean, it's big, it's bold, it's transformational. And there are a lot of problems that, you know, I don't know how we can solve, uh, but hunger is not one of them. 
uh, and this is an outline, a holistic uh, approach, uh, putting forward a strategy that will actually end hunger in this country by 2030. We should all want to do this. It will help our farmers. It will help countless people who struggle in this country. It will save a boatload of money. Um, it's morally the right thing to do. We can achieve this, and I would urge everybody, you know, get on board. You know, demand of all of our elected officials to be engaged on this. Let's do something big. Let's do something important. Let's do something transformational. This is it. And again, I thank the Biden administration for uh, for doing this. And we need to be wind at their back. We need to demand uh, that this actually happen. Our thanks to House Rules Committee Chairman and Ag Committee Member Representative James McGovern. Our guest this week on Open Mic. Agripulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For Agripulse, I'm Chuck Allen. 